And good morning, listeners, and welcome to Sacred Space here on West Limit 102. My name is John Keeley, and I'm delighted to be joined in studio this morning by not one, but two guests. Shane Ambrose from Shannon Golden. I'm going to get it right this time. Good morning, John. Good morning, and thank you very much, Neil, for joining us. And also, we have another guest with us this morning, and which we'll go through in a bit more, more detail shortly. Welcome to studio, uh, Sister Margaret Sullivan. Good morning. Good morning, John, and good morning, listeners. And thank you very much, new Sister, for joining us. A very special welcome to those who are listening to us at home uh, and the radio, maybe for one reason or another. You might be ill or housebound. Uh, maybe you can't get out of bed, can't get out of the house this morning. You're especially welcome. We have indeed got a light here, uh, as, uh, as we normally mention, and that's to remind us that indeed just before the program we have said a prayer for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to be with us all here on the program this morning. So you're very welcome, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for allowing us to spend this sacred space with you. Also to those who are listening to us while traveling on the car from one end of the country, well, maybe come to Limerick, that's as far as you get us in the, in the car, and also those of us who are listening on the net, on the internet. Now, I don't know how our person in Rome, the person in Rome still listen, still hearing us? Yeah, she's still around. That's good. Uh, I know that the, that the odd person listen to us from Australia, mm-hmm. uh, UK, I know London and Birmingham. You're all welcome and thank you for joining us. And we also have some listeners, I think, tuning in from the US, John, now that we have our blog up and running. Very good, and thanks to you. It, it, it's a beautiful blog. Thank you very much indeed for putting that up for us. But to all of us, uh, you know, to all of you, thank you very much indeed for joining us, and you're most welcome. The presentation of the program this morning will vary slightly in that we usually go through uh, the gospel in the second part, but we mightn't get to the gospel now today. Uh, we'll go through the, about that in a second. But we do have some music, and we do have some inspirational thoughts. So you're most welcome. Comments about the program would be most welcome, and better still, uh, we'd love to hear about suggestions or maybe contributions that listeners would like to make for the development of the program. If you would like to contact the station, please do to, uh, do so during the week. Uh, you can contact the station here locally on 0696600, or maybe drop a line to West Limerick 102 Radio, Sheen's Road, Newcastle West. We can also be contacted by email on sacredspace102 at gmail.com. And, of course, Shane, you're going to remind us of the address of the blog spot again, please. It's uh, sacredspace102fm.blogspot.com. And if people want to get into it, actually, often the best way to get into it is off of the West Limerick 102 FM website, which is at www.westlimerick102.ie. All right, lovely job, and thank you very much, Neil, for that, Shane. Okay, um, I'd like to take the opportunity, by the way, uh, for those people who have indeed contacted the program and have made suggestions. Um, thank you very much, Neil, for that. Okay, at the start of the program, uh, we have introduced this in more recent times, and we're going to continue with it this morning. Uh, we'd like to allow um, some little space, if we can, for people, if they wish, just to take a little bit of time to settle down before the program starts, maybe uh, spend some time in prayer, uh, maybe for intercession, or maybe in prayer of thanks, or maybe prayer, maybe for inspiration, asking the Holy Spirit to, to allow our minds to be open to whatever the program is going to say to us today. So this little bit of music, it, it's one of my favourites, and of course, Favourite musics are not very good sometimes at pronouncing names. But anyway, it's one that I picked up from Medjugorje. It's by Melinda Dimitru, and it's entitled uh, Adoramus Domine. Domine. Okay, let's hear this.
No, welcome back again, and um, I hope you enjoyed that piece of music that we had there from Melinda, a lovely piece of music to lead us into the program. Okay, as I said, the, this morning's program is slightly different uh, than, than normal. The reason is it's the 17th of October, and Sister Margaret here is going to tell us why the 17th of October is so important to her and her organization and her, her congregation. Sister, you might just fill us in, please. Sister, is it Mar- uh, Mary McKillop? Yes, certainly, John. It's Mary McKillop, and she was the foundress of the Sisters of St. Joseph, and she will be canonized as Australia's first saint um, okay. on the 17th. Obviously a great day for Australia, but a great day for the Josephites and for all their families and associates and, and Ireland indeed, because there's a great connection between Mary McKillop and Ireland. Good. So, okay, um, Mary McKillop, when was she around? Well, tell me the story. Uh, she was born in Melbourne, John, in 1842 okay. of... Uh, Scottish migrant parents, Alexander McKillop and Flora MacDonald. Alexander had spent six years in Rome in the seminary and just the year before his ordination he pulled out and came back to Scotland. Mm -hmm. Um, Two years later he migrated to Australia, ending up in Sydney. He moved on then down to Melbourne on the East Coast and he met up there with Flora MacDonald who had just arrived from Scotland. Okay. Now we don't know whether in those colonial days there was such a thing as love at first sight uh-huh. but however yeah. Flora and Alexander got married and Mary was born on the 15th of January in 1842. She was born Helen Mary McKillop. Okay. And... Um, I suppose in that particular time, education wasn't readily available, but because Alexander himself, her father, had had such a good education in the church, he educated Mary at home. Now, there is evidence she also went to school, but she got a very good, rounded education from her father and obviously a great love of the church. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And while Alexander was an idealist, he was also, um, I suppose, not too pragmatic in the practical things. He wasn't good in the workaday world of men. And (laughs) even though they started off fairly well and were fairly comfortable, Alexander made some decisions that led the family into bad times. And as a result, they lost their home, couldn't pay their bills, and really fell on hard times. So as a result, the young Mary, being the eldest, there were eight children, by the way. Eight children, okay. Eight children. Mary was the eldest. And as a result, then, she had to more or less pick up the responsibility for being the main breadwinner. And we know she worked in a stationary place called Sands and Kenny for a number of years. She then became a governess, and then finally she became a teacher. So uh, she'd had this dream for religious life for quite a long time, but she had to put it on hold simply because she had the responsibility for looking after the family financially because Alexander couldn't be trusted. He had a few major bets and a few mm. things like that yeah, and got caught up and so on and didn't work out. But she maintained a great love for, for her dad because, as I said, he was fairly central there to her, her, I suppose, introducing her to the love of God. Flora was a woman of great and deep devotion also. Her 
mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she continued uh, then looking after the family, had to put the dream. She felt that God was calling her to do something very special, but she couldn't uh, pursue that until she knew that the family were fairly secure. So she put that on hold. In 1861, when she was governess to her uncle Sandy Cameron in Panola, she met uh, a priest there, Father Julian Tennyson Woods, and Julian uh, was in charge of a far-flung parish that went for thousands of miles. But in talking to him, he had a dream to provide education and care Mm -hmm. for the children of the poor. At that time, obviously, there were a lot of people on the move looking for gold. Um, A lot of them were of Irish heritage, actually, Irish descent. They had very little access to their priests. They had very little access to education. They were destitute, basically, a lot of them. Mary saw the plight of these um, children, families, and so on. And together with Julian, they had this dream that they would set up an education system and a care system that would cater solely for the needs of these people who were poor. She was fairly young. She was. She was 21 that year. um, But it didn't transpire then uh, that she set up anything fairly organized Mm. until 1966. 18. 1866, the European uh, congregations were offering uh, in a sense that uh, the European uh, congregations were already in Australia were, I suppose, more more disciplined in their way of life in that they lived in fairly large buildings behind high walls and one of the things Mary said was we will not live behind high walls we will be mobile we'll move with the people we live in tents if needs be because that's how the poor live and if we are to minister to the poor we have to have an understanding of where they're, where they're coming mm-hmm. from okay. so of course that was very difficult the other area I suppose where she came up against opposition was that in those particular days the bishop again coming with a European mindset believed that they would be in charge of the sisters and that they would say Mm. in their own particular diocese we need you there, you go there, we need you here Mm. and Mary had this vision of unity uh, for the the group and she said um, I'll know the needs of these women Uh, they're going to be going to isolated places they're going to need particular care and we want to remain in this central organization because mm-hmm. that will be where our strength will come from. She used to say, in our unity under God lies our strength. Um, but, of course, the bishops, you know, at the time just could not accept that. And they wanted to radically change the rule that herself and Julian had worked on. And uh, as a result, of course, Mary had to take herself to Rome. She thought, well, I'm going to go to the top. Um, mm. I've got I've got nothing to lose here, but I will have to pay a, a great price. Exactly. Now, mm. just 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 going back a step there, she had run into difficulty with the bishops. Now, I think they were a set of brothers, and going were they Quin, uh, Quins? They, they were. They were later on in her life. They were the, the yeah. They were they were a bit later on. She she came into conflict with uh, the first one was a bishop 
Scheel. Okay. He was a Franciscan. Mm-hmm. And um, it was during that particular period where she was trying to establish the centrality of the sisters, the, 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 the unity of the sisters. Uh, and Bishop Scheel had been ill-advised by a number of other people. There was a bit of a vacuum in the diocese at the time because the bishop, even though he was a kind and a benevolent man, he wasn't a strong leader. Okay. So there were a whole lot of little in-groups and cliques and mm-hmm. factions amongst the clergy that had developed. And there was, you know, the, the normal human jealousy and envy and mm-hmm. who does he think he is to have that job and I want it. All and of, of course she was, she was a mere woman stepping in on top of all these male she was, toes. She was, absolutely. Mm, and yeah. she was kind of caught uh, in the storm of it, I suppose. So as a result of that, um, when the bishop had asked Mary to send her sisters one particular morning to a particular place and Mary said, I'm not... I won't send them. It's not suitable because I know who these women are. It's not suitable for them to go there. Mm-hmm. And so the bishop took that as a direct, um, I suppose, action of disobedience. Okay. So he came uh, to the, called the sisters together, came to the chapel, and I'll just read for you just this very small uh, little um, extract. Okay. Um, where it just describes very dramatically, might I say, mm-hmm. uh, the sisters themselves, you know, had recorded it afterwards. But it's very dramatic. It says, Bishop Scheel, in full ecclesiastical garb, with mitre and crozier, pronounced the words of excommunication, wow. cutting Mary off from being a member of the church without the sacraments or Christian burial. And these are his words. He said, For your disobedience and rebellion, I have to pronounce upon you the awful sentence of excommunication. You are now, Mary MacKillop, free to return to the world. A large portion of the wickedness of which you have, I feel, brought with you into this institute. Wow, that was harsh. That was strong very, language. Very, very harsh. Yeah. Now, there were a group of, of the sisters gathered around, and, of course, they attempted to come forward to plead in her behalf, mm. and she silenced them. Mm. Um, and almost, I suppose, in, a, in, a, in an acceptance immediately. And this is what she wrote following those words. I do not know how long I knelt there. I do not know how to describe the feeling. But strangely, I was intensely happy and fell nearer to God than I had ever felt before. Mm-hmm. It is almost like as if uh, that was kind of her own cross that she had it to was. take. Yes. I was just wondering there, Sister, um, the priest, where was the priest in all of this? Because, I mean, he, the bishop would have known that the priest was involved. Uh, yes. Father Julian. Yes. At, at this particular stage of the excommunication, Julian had actually, Julian was away. He had actually left, okay. um, Panola and he knew nothing of this okay. at this particular okay. point. But you see, uh, the reason that they wanted Mary out was they eventually wanted him out. Okay, as well, okay, okay. Uh, because the bishop had appointed him as the director of Catholic education, and apparently that was a position worth having. Mm, okay. And because he too was a blow-in, he was a stranger, he had mm. come in from England. By the way, he was of Irish parentage, okay. uh, mother from Cork, father from Waterford. Mm. Uh, they, um, they didn't accept, I suppose, that Julian had anything worthwhile to offer, but he was an absolutely talented, energetic, um, visionary kind of a person, mm-hmm. uh, very creative. He was a scientist, a geologist, um, but again, um, it was the, those infections that were... That caused uh, the issue. That caused the issue, and an ill-advised Bishop Scheel, yes. But all things end well. 
All things end well, mm-hmm. and five months later, the excommunication then uh, was lifted. And following that, um, the following year then, it, Mary was advised to go to Rome to get the rule sanctioned because it was still uh, a little bit tentative mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. that... Um, I suppose some of that material there around her, the, the bishop saying to her, the sisters will, will not uh, mingle with each other. They won't move from house to house. Um, they will be under my control. I will send them where I see the need. All of that was still very much up here in the air. Nothing really had been resolved other than the excommunication had been lifted. Mm-hmm. But there was still a lot of hurt, still a lot of open wounds. Um, and some... I suppose wise person or, or persons who were on Mary's side advised her that she ought to go to Rome to get the congregation on uh, a much sounder standing, if you like. Okay, go right to the top. Go so right to, to the top. <clears throat> now, again, she travelled at a time when women didn't travel alone. Yes. She took off the habit and she wore a black dress and a hat. And she <laughs> went as Mrs. MacDonald, her mother's maiden okay, name. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, and there's a lovely piece here on the where she travels on the on the ship. Um, if I can locate it in, in this little book here. Um, she had a great sense of humor as well, but she wrote many, many letters, and, of course, she gave great accounts of her trips overseas as a result of the, the one visit to Rome. She made the best of it. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it just says here... Um, she said, this was 1873, and she said, I had time to be much amused. This while she was on board the ship. Uh, she was on board a steamer in rough seas bound for England. She enjoyed it all and recalled her experience in a letter to the sisters. She says, you may imagine the state of the passengers in such a sea. I must have been very funny looking. I had time to be much amused at the tricks the waves had played upon my less fortunate companions. I presume the women's hairdos might have been a little tossed about. And she says, but they took the angry ducklings they got very good-humouredly. Oh, very good. Um, So she wasn't, you know, she was a vital, uh, happy, outgoing, cheerful kind of a person. Mm. She wasn't by any means, um, you know, dull or boring in that sense. Uh, And, of course, we have so many wonderful letters um, that she wrote. She was a wonderful writer. And, of course, that's one of the reasons why we've got so much documentation uh, to, to support. put together to support, mm-hmm. you know, the kind mm-hmm. of woman she was. Yeah. And so she ended up, she arrived in Rome. So she arrived in Rome um, to see the Pope. Mm-hmm. And she met there um, uh, a Monsignor Kirby at the Irish College who was very, very good to her. And actually... Is he the rector at the Irish College? He was College? the rector, okay. yes. Yeah. Uh, actually, he was the one that had kept a lot of her writing um, okay. And, of course, it went missing at a very crucial time because it was going to show some of the bishops in a very poor light. So oh, it, right. it went underground for a while. <laughs> and we, we'll talk about just the steps towards the canonization yes, later. But later, anyhow, yeah. just to, to finish, I suppose, a little bit on her, her, her journeys then, she uh, she went to, um, again, this Monsignor Kirby had organized her to join a few pilgrimages. She went to Paralimonial, you know, to Margaret yes, Mary's yeah, Sacred yeah. Heart, uh, and, and so on. And, of course, uh, part of the journey then, while she was still waiting for Rome, 
to do the homework on the on the documentation. She came on to England and then travelled up to the highlands of Scotland, up to the Fort William area, which is where the MacDonalds and the MacKillops came from. Oh, so she went back to her roots. She went back mm. to her roots to visit okay. the aunts and the uncles who had not left the highlands okay. and spent a little bit of time there. She was a little disappointed uh, in one of the uncles in particular because he'd given up going to Mass. Oh, so dear. she writes that back to Uncle Sandy and the relations back back at home in Australia. Really? She writes that back about you know okay, how disappointed okay. she was you know. Yes. But however, um, so having visited her beloved Scotland and co- connected with the family there, she then came on to Ireland and she spent three and a half months in Ireland actually in 1874. Okay. Um, she came to Ireland for a couple of reasons. Uh, uh, one reason, I suppose, we could say was that she wanted to look at the national system of schooling in Ireland. She wanted to see how it was run, how it was organised. And she wanted to look at teaching methods, and she was collecting some resources to bring back with her. She also, of course, came to recruit membership for the new congregation, the fledgling congregation. She looked for vocations. And she travelled from Dublin. She went down to Waterford, Wexford. She came on then to... um, uh, She came to Limerick. She went to Ennis, Scott, Lockray, and then back to Dublin. Now, oh, wow. we know that she got 15 young Irish women to travel with her on board the ship called the St. O.C., okay. and she traveled out from Dublin um, on that. Uh, and one of the, again, in one of the letters she wrote, she more or less said, I had to get them ready and take them quickly in case the minds got changed. (laughs) (laughs) I said maybe she was a cradle snatcher in those days, you know, taking these young Irish people. But again, uh, families would not have been able to afford the journey. So she had to beg their fares. She collected the money from various places and people and benefactors Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. on. And the third reason, of course, too, was that she was looking for priests for the colony, priests who would be prepared to go out into those outback places where the sisters were going, because okay. the the Catholics, as I said at the time, did have they had very little um, connection or um, accessibility, I suppose, to the to, to priests. So she was looking for priests for the con- colonies. You now she'd gone through the right channel. She'd asked the bishops and so on. She'd mm-hmm. got permission. So mm-hmm. all was well. All was well there. All was well. Yes. Now, had, when she sent these fifteen back to Australia. Did she go with them or oh, did she, she go back did. to Rome? No, no, no. Okay. She went. She went with them. Okay. She went with them. Yes, okay. she travelled back sh- with them. She already had the had the blessing of the Pope. Now at this stage, had she, she had. Was she had in the three and a half months. <coughs> okay. Five. No, she was she was longer away than that. But the three and a half months she spent in Ireland, she would have she would have got the confirmation by then. Okay. She'd actually gone back to Rome in between. In between. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. And now she's on the way to Australia. Yes. This might be an ideal time now, maybe to take our first break. So, sister. Have you got another piece of music, or the first piece of music you'd like us to play? Yes, I've just chosen a little track called Lead Kindly Light. Uh, We're in, I suppose, the time of the beatification of uh, Cardinal Newman, Mm -hmm. and uh, he himself was a man who knew a great deal of darkness and hardship in his his life. And I think this beautiful piece, Lead Kindly Light, also uh, applies to Mary McKillop's life. And it's also very appropriate. He wrote this while travelling on ship as well. The true bad bad storms. You're you're full of information. (laughs) Listen, thank you very much. Okay, Uh, lead kindly, light. Let's hear it.
Sacred Space on West Limerick 102. And welcome back again to the second part of Sacred Space here in West Limerick 102. And I hope you are uh, enjoying the program this morning with uh, Sister Margaret O'Sullivan here, who's telling us all about uh, the Sisters of St. Joseph and the Sacred Heart and how they started up with Mary McKillop. So I believe Mary McKillop is now on her way, or maybe she just arrived in Australia, Sister. So now, now what happens? Okay. She, she's got a few wise sisters. She has a few extra <coughs> to go back with mm-hmm. and begin their training. Um, now, when she goes back, unfortunately, the man who shared the vision with her at the beginning, Julian Tennyson Woods, when he comes, when she goes back and she presents the rule, um, Julian is very hurt because she in fact, didn't discuss the changes with him before she went to Rome. Okay. So we see there's um, a, a break in the relationship. And um, Julian wanted the sisters to have a very, it was actually a very severe kind of a poverty that he wanted them to live out of. And you see, we owned no properties at the time. So when Mary was excommunicated, the sisters were virtually thrown out onto the street. And those of them, particularly who were Irish, had no place to go. They were taken in by kind people around Adelaide, mm-hmm. uh, some of them, you know, Jews and, and so on, um, who uh, were obviously friends of Mary's because she was very ecumenical. Um, but when Mary then went to Rome with the rule, the Pope said, you must own some property. You cannot leave um, the sisters who are in the congregation without a place. And so when Julian saw that this aspect had been changed, he wanted them really to be mendicants, a bit like the early Franciscans, going from place to place, depending on Mm. the goodwill and the generosity of of people. Mm. But but Rome had changed this piece and said, you have to own uh, um, some property. So I suppose as a result then, we had what we called a a central place in each of the provinces throughout Australia. Um, The congregation spread then, of course, it went into all the states, New uh, and, and across the sea to New Zealand, um, we have provinces in in um, in, in uh, Brisbane, in Queensland, New South Wales, uh, Victoria, South Australia, West Australia. Um, the number of women asking to to join the congregation um, really came from mostly working class families, mm. um, and of course, again. I suppose the charism that Mary had herself was attracting that kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, people who were, I suppose, uh, a lot of the time coming from maybe even uh, the land, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily those coming from city areas. And this, you, the, the sisters were, the congregation was an Australian congregation. An Australian It wasn't an import as such, of course. No, exactly, um, Jane. That's, that's very, very true. And of course, it was the, the newest group on the block, if you like. Okay. And such, I suppose, there was great scrutiny, you know, as to how they were conducting their business and they were under the limelight, I suppose you Mm. could say, a a great deal. Um, But Mary just wasn't involved with education, although I suppose that was her main motivation. She believed that education would give people a ticket to freedom, Mm -hmm. in a sense. And uh, so she, she, she walked the streets. She was very, very much aware of people who were destitute. Um, She set up shelters 
for people, brought them in off the streets, um, uh, encouraged women who had to go on the streets to make a living. She encouraged them to try and kind of lift their lives out of that. She supported them. She um, would often go out onto the streets, bring them in and give them a good meal. Mm-hmm. And again, she was dependent on the generosity of people to provide even because the money was very scarce. South Australia particularly, where she started off, was, was very, very poor. Okay. They didn't have much there. Um, so the, the, the order sort of spread very, very rapidly. Um, there are some beautiful stories of when uh, New Zealand kind of get this, uh, get the idea that Gosh, it's working so well in Australia. You know, it could work well here. So they mm-hmm. write and they plead. There's a, there's one priest in particular. He writes many, many letters to Mary and he's pleading with her. Will you send, if, even if you send two, I'll be happy. And Mary writes back and says, well, I don't have two at the moment to send. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then there's another beautiful part where, um, there's, um, a priest in Brisbane and he, he, uh, uh, writes to her and asks again, he wants two as well. Only two. Uh, and uh, she she writes back, and one of the sisters who would have probably done a bit of secretarial work for her says to her, but Mother Mary, you don't have to. Why are you telling him you sent him to? You don't have to. And she looked <laughs> up and she said, I've told you, God will provide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was confident. Very so much she so. was in great demand mm. in mm. terms of looking for sisters to go to various places. And uh, we must be at this stage, what were the 1870s, 1880s? 1880s, okay. yes. yes. I, I suppose at the end, I suppose, when did, when did, Mary, when did Mary die? She died in 1909 on the oh, 8th right. of August. Okay. Yes. So she, she, she outlived... 67. She out, but yeah. she kind of outlived Victoria to a certain extent. That's right. You know? That's right, yes. And so the congregation has expanded. But you were saying originally about the 15 that she took from Ireland. Yes. Was there any more Irish sisters that went over? Or oh, gosh, women yes. that went to become sisters yes. or any other Irish connections? Yes. Well, I suppose even before she took the 15, there were a number of Irish women uh, whose families had settled in Australia, who had actually joined her, and they were part of that first founding group okay. mm-hmm. uh, as well. So mm-hmm. she had uh, she had Irish connections in the group before she came to Ireland for the fifteen, mm-hmm. and I suppose that gave her a little bit of uh, you know entry. a bit mm-hmm. of an entry mm-hmm. that she had she, uh, she had connections I suppose, but. Um, in the years, the ensuing years then, I suppose, there may not have been, uh, probably through the 20s, there may not have been that many. But in 1927 then, um, some time after Mary's death, the congregation made a decision to open a juniorate in your market in County Cork. And that became the seed ground, really, for vocations, if you like, to, to, to the Australian-founded congregation. And we know that in the time... F- between, say, Mary visiting in 1874 and up to our own time, 707 Irish women wow. joined the Australian Congregation of the Sisters of St. Joseph. It's a lot of, that's a lot of Irish connections. It's a lot of Irish there. And I'm, in 1927, the house in Cork opened. Yes. I'm assuming, is it still there? No, it closed in the, uh, shortly after I left to enter the Joseph's, actually in, in, in 1973, it closed. Okay. Um, and then there was there was a long break before there was any connection again. And then uh, the I suppose it must be about thirty years then 
when, when was it? We opened a house of hospitality in a place called Stillorgan, okay. mainly for uh, the sisters who were coming back, the elderly ones who were coming back on holidays and didn't have any immediate family lift. You see, we were never supposed to come back, as you know, from mm-hmm. once we went. Mm-hmm. It was a bit like uh, being sent to Van Diemen's Land yes. in some ways, you know. <laughs> we were never supposed to come back. But, of course, with Vatican II in 1963, all of that changed. changed. Mm. And so the first lot were, were, were able to come back. So um, for some of them, as I said, uh, that were probably elderly when they returned and they wouldn't have had any, maybe the homestead was gone or whatever. So we opened this little place in Stillorgan so that they could spend some time there. And there were two sisters looking after the hospitality in the house. Um, so then um, I suppose there was always uh, a sense amongst the Irish-born sisters there of having given so much, I suppose, to the people of Australia and New Zealand mm-hmm. that it would be wonderful someday to be able to come back and give something into, I, I suppose, the life of people in Ireland, you know. Um, so what types of ministry are you involved in at the moment? In, here in Ireland. Here in Ireland, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, there, there, there are a number actually. There would be a, a lot of the sisters are involved in aged care. For example, we, we run the respite centre there in Drumcolla. Drum yeah. uh, okay. The sisters are there. We're involved there with pastoral care in the um, sheltered housing um, estate there in Abbey Field. Uh, we're in the um, aged care residential place in a CC house there in Navan Road in Dublin. Some of us are involved in education, counselling, bereavement work, pastoral ministry in parishes. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a wide and varied been this uh, exactly. apostolic work to a certain extent. Yes, yes. And how many of you would be in Ireland at this stage? There are 40, uh, 40 of us at the moment okay. that have returned. And can I say, if we say internationally, how is the congregation doing? What it's, what's the health kind of of your membership? Well, I suppose, as with most congregations, what we would uh, call the uh, the call to the vowed life, mm-hmm. uh, the vocations, I guess, aren't very strong there. Okay. But amazingly, I suppose God works where he wills. Um, there are other groups associated with the charism of Mary McKillop that are just popping up all around the place. Mm-hmm. People that want affiliation, association, not the vowed consecrated life, although we have about six or seven, I think, in our novitiate. Which is very um, good, considering. But again, that's the f- mm. Australia's a big country. Yeah, when I yeah. entered, there were 50 of us. Right. You know? okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so comparatively speaking, but as I said, there are so many other groups that are uh, evolving, I suppose, mm. coming out of that the spirit, charism, the charism and, yeah. of Mary McKillop. And uh, we, we now say that, um, you know, we have to share the charism. Okay. Once upon a time, we saw it as just our own property. But there are others saying we want to claim the charism okay. of Mary McKillop McKillen as well. Okay. And we have lots of past students and so on that are doing wonderful apostolic work. Right. Now, and I, would have, I would have been inspired by Mary to, yes, to, to, to exactly. in new ways. Yes, in new exactly. ways, exactly. Okay. Yes, yeah. I suppose, John, that leads us on to our next piece next of piece music. music. Sister, have you got another piece of music there that you'd like us to play? I have, John. I suppose the one I've chosen for this is uh, something around that whole Irish connection and the fact that we have made a foundation here now. Uh, it's a Creaston Shield. And uh, I, I guess a seed that was sown by Mary McKillop in 1874, we feel that it has blossomed, that there has been some harvesting in the fact that uh, we've come the full circle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a creation shield, I think, expresses that very beautifully. Christ is the seed, Christ is the harvest. Lovely. And this is from the album Be In My Heart by Dennis and Paula Doyle. So let's listen to this. 
Sacred Space on West Limerick 102. Okay, uh, welcome back again to the third and final part of Sacred Space here on West Limerick 102. Uh, joined this morning by Shane Ambrose and Sister Margaret O'Sullivan, and we're speaking about Mary McKillop and her story um, in starting off the Order of the Sisters of St. Joseph of the Sacred Heart. Okay, she's certainly had a very busy time, Sister, and so have you this morning trying to explain all that to us. Um, so, I mean, the whole idea of having this program this morning is because uh, this morning, 17th of October, Mary McKibb is going to be made a saint. Talk to us about that, please. And I suppose we might say what makes a saint. Okay. Mm. Um, and uh, I guess there's a quality of, ho- of holiness. Now, mm. we might think of holiness as being for other people, but in fact, holiness is for us all because yeah. it arises out of our baptism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I suppose Mary's brand of holiness was a very practical one. Mm. Uh, because we can identify 
in her life, you know, some of the qualities, I suppose, that made her holy. Uh, we say faith, hope, and love are the, the main virtues for a Christian. And I suppose if we were to dig deeply enough into Mary's faith, her hope, and her love, we mm-hmm. would find there, you know, the book that's been written, I suppose, about her, about her life. Uh, it's very significant, I think, that throughout her letters, despite the wrong that was done her, despite the dreadful crosses that she carried, um, you know, her own family, losing so many um, of her own family very, very early in life. I think six of them were dead before they reached 40. Mm-hmm. Her mother died in um, a shipwreck um, on her way to Mary. She had uh, tremendous crosses to carry. But we find that in her letters that she has written, uh, there there's some there's there's a glimpse of a very down to earth but a very wholesome person there was no hint of condemnation particularly of those uh, who did her so much wrong and they basically would say i suppose that it's out of out of that sense of wholeness where she wished nobody ill and she encouraged the sisters not to get involved in any of the gossip around the bishops or whatever mm-hmm. there was a um, a largesse i suppose a bigness of heart in her mm-hmm. that enabled her as they say get over it and get on okay, you build know? a bridge and get over it almost. exactly mm-hmm. you know i mean that didn't mean of course that she hadn't been you know very very hurt she was highly sensitive as well mm-hmm. so i suppose uh, th- there is is a very uh, a very practical way, I suppose, that we can measure holiness. Mm. And sometimes it's the human piece, yes. you know, that's yes. there. How, mm. how integrated are we? Can we forgive? You know, can we love the enemy, which she <laughs> she um, asked us to do, and of which, which the gospel asks us to do as well? Mm. You know, can we turn the other cheek, and so on? So she forgave all the hurt, I suppose, and and uh, um, she didn't allow the sisters to become angry or bear grudges or bitterness or whatever. And she would she was very stern with the in some ways of saying look don't uh, don't judge just see the see the deed and love the person yes. you okay. know okay. Um, so i suppose there flowed from her you know a very natural um ability i suppose to be with people to relate with people to be herself with people and i think that's always a, a really good sign of a great saint someone who is normal natural mm-hmm. yes. not up on a pedestal a plastic yes. statue or whatever but is relatable a real to person. a real person mm-hmm. you know yeah. and uh, i suppose again the kind of clientele that she drew to the order were people who had their feet on the ground you practical know women. practical women mm-hmm. uh, and I'd, I'd have to give a plug there for women from the country, particularly. Of course, the whole process of a canonization, uh, Margaret, is the fact that the church recognizes a saint. It doesn't create a saint. You know, it's only recognizing these virtues that Mary had in her own life. And exactly. it's putting her up there as a model, kind of, and as an example for us, exactly. you know, to, to, to kind of imitate if we can in some way and, and see how she lived out her life in exactly. some ways. Now, you have a, you have a busy morning in Rome this morning on the 17th. Exactly. And uh, because you have the canonization ceremony, of course, this morning with Pope Benedict, who called to see Mary, I believe. He did. He, uh, oh, during really? World Youth Day in 2008. Mm-hmm. Actually, he'd be the third Pope who's prayed at her tomb. But Benedict called to the tomb, prayed there, and I was actually very privileged to have been in the chapel that particular morning and to shake his hand as he came up the aisle. But um, I, I think he was immediately drawn to Mary's personality mm-hmm. because there was a beautiful uh, bust of Mary that was presented to him in bronze. And normally, apparently, the Pope will leave things behind after him because they might be too heavy or too big or whatever. <laughs> yeah. He'll give them to a church. Yeah. But he wanted to take the, the bust of Mary uh, with him.
with him, and as he left, he patted her on the head. <laughs> <laughs> so we said, "Oh, I think she's got through to him." I think she's okay. very good, yes, yes. very good, very so, good. Uh, so in uh, so in Rome, then on the seventeenth, the um, the ceremony begins at nine thirty, mm-hmm. and uh, they have to do a particular reading of her life, uh-huh. and uh, there's there's some pre um, work to be done before the actual uh, celebration of the yes. mass yes. in the square. Formal but, declaration uh, by the Pope. Exactly, the formal dec- uh, declaration. I think there's a beautiful big banner of her that's been produced. And, you know, there's a lot of work behind the scenes, yes. obviously, mm. to be done. But there are 8,000 Australians going out of Australia. Wow. Um, wow. And, of course, it's Australia's first saint after, after Ned Kelly. I canonized him very early. In the <laughs> big an Irishman. But anyway. Um, and then, of course, there's a large group of the sisters going from Ireland. And there are also some people from around Ireland who have had an interest in her, mm-hmm. either through relations or who have grown to love her, I suppose, in, in some way, that will also be traveling um, across. Um, and so I suppose it's, it'll be a great celebration in Rome, but we, t- we want to mark it also when we come back. Okay. So okay. on the 7th of November, we're having the national celebration of the canonization, and we know she visited Limerick and possibly the cathedral because it's the cathedral of John the Baptist, and she had a particular devotion to John the Baptist. So we're having that celebration on the 7th of November at 12 noon in St. John's Cathedral in Limerick, and we would love as many people as possible to come and join us and be part of that celebration of this brand new saint. And already throughout Ireland, lots and lots of inquiries coming in on the phone and there certainly is a great interest. Now I know she's the new saint on the block. (laughs) That's okay too. And that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So so that connection with Ireland, we're very uh, proud of that. Very good. And the fact that so many of us, and we've been made so welcome back here in Ireland and brought back a little bit of the Aussie way of doing things but we've been very welcomed back. It's been been beautiful having you back and and thank you very much indeed for bringing all your gifts and your ministry to us. How long are you back yourself now, I'm sister? back 10 years now, John. 10 years? Yes. Now. And you're not going back now. You're staying with us now, are you? Unless, like Mary McKillop, I get called back. <laughs> and, uh, but I mightn't be as, as willing to say yes as she was. But I might have to struggle with that. But we'll see okay. if it happens. Very good. Very good. <laughs> well, listen, sister, thank you very much, Need for joining us this morning. Uh, I mean, this is obviously recorded prior to uh, October the 17th because that particular morning, uh, the morning this has been broadcast, with the help of God, you'll be out in Rome. We'll be having our eyes glued to the television and the internet to see, can we see Sister Margaret waving to us? It will be on EWTN. It will be on EWTN. The, the John's morning. Oh, that's, right. that's fine. Then I'll make sure that's advertised big time. Well, the sisters who can't go, we've had to, to try and access something for them so they know that, that they'll be able to be part of it as well, the sisters here in Ireland that aren't going. Yes. Mm. Well, that's lovely. And the families as well. Okay. Sister, thank you very much for coming in to us this morning. And we will give, uh, we will give that event for you uh, a good reminder to our listeners on the 7th of November at 12 noon in Mm -hmm. St. John's Cathedral. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And Sister, thank you very much indeed for coming to join us this morning. The last piece of music you've you've chosen for us to hear, Sister? Well, we'd have to finish with something around reflecting on Mary McKillop's life. So this little one, even though it's just been, it's just hot off the press and she's already been called Saint Mary McKillop by the writer of this song. (laughs) We're just, we're just ahead of the posse. That's all right. And the, the, it's sung by another Australian, is it Monica Brown? Yes, Monica Brown. Uh, Uh, Monica has, is a wonderful musician and has made lots and lots of, uh, of CDs and a great composer. And of course comes from the whole Australian um, side of things as well so she's uh, very proud to have produced a full CD actually but this is just one of the tracks from Lovely. it 
Sister, again, thanks a lot, uh, you know, so much for coming in for you this morning. Uh, best wishes to yourself and all of your sisters in the congregation. Uh, and um, may you enjoy the day and the rest of your time that you're going to spend, hopefully, a long time with us here in Ireland. Wonderful. God Thank bless you. you now. Thank you. Bye-bye now.
Sacred Space on West Limerick 102.